Today on CXO Talk, we are speaking with truly one of the foremost AI computer scientists, educators in the world. Andrew, tell us about the work that you do and give us a flavor of your background. There's a lot of hype, a lot of excitement, a lot of promise, but sometimes over-promises about AI. And I'm excited about helping companies navigate this really complicated environment and figure out how it can actually help your business. So I hope over this conversation, we can dive into that. Um, I draw a lot of my experience starting and leading the Google Brain team, which helped Google become good at AI, and also leading AI at Baidu, uh, which arguably made China made it China's greatest AI company. Um, and I think lessons from those organizations and many others that, that, that we work with are useful for a lot of companies trying to figure out this very disruptive AI technology. You also were the founder of Coursera and you are a professor at Stanford. I was co-founder of Coursera. Uh, I taught about 3 million people worldwide AI, uh, machine learning and AI, more than in anyone else on the planet at this point, I think. Uh, and, and I also continue to teach at Stanford when I'm an adjunct professor. You have all of this experience. And I guess the first question that we have, to, the place that we have to start for business people is AI. You mentioned the term hype, and there is all this hype. What is it exactly? There are a lot of tools that AI people like me have. But it turns out that 99% of the recent wave of economic value driven by AI is through one idea. And the technical term is supervised learning. But all that means is an AI that is very good at figuring out input to output or A to B mappings, uh, such as input and email. And output is this spam, zero one. That's your spam filter. Or the recent rise of uh, voice conversational agents, that's based on speech recognition, which is a type of AI that inputs an audio clip and outputs the text transcript. Um, most lucrative application of this is probably online advertising, where all the large ad platforms have AI that inputs an ad and outputs, you know, will you click on this ad? And this is driving tremendous amounts of revenue. And I think a lot of the challenges that face us across multiple industries today is how to adapt this amazing technology that's just computing input-output mappings into valuable business use cases, not just in the software internet industry where a lot of this is started, but in every industry. To what extent do business people need to understand the nature of those input-output mappings that you were just describing? Not everyone needs to become an expert in AI, but it is a general purpose technology which is disrupting every industry. Um, sometimes our friends and I have challenged each other to name an industry that AI will not disrupt in the next decade. And, and I actually had a hard time coming up with one. Uh, my favorite example was the hairdressing industry. You know, I thought, well, can we, can we really replace my hairdresser with a, with a, AI. Um, although interestingly, once I said this on stage and one of my friends who's a robotics professor was in the audience and she heard me say this, after the talk, uh, actually after it, she stood up and she pointed at my head and she said, Andrew, um, for most people's haircuts, I can't build a robot to cut their hair, but for your hairstyle, a robot could totally do that. So maybe even, even the hairdressing industry. Um, AI, like electricity, is a general purpose technology that's transforming every industry. Today, we can't imagine any industry running without electricity, but it was really difficult to figure out how companies should embrace electricity, and we're still going through that in the case of AI. 
When you talk about the, the mappings, the inputs and the outputs, how is this different from established technologies? Or in other words, what is the unique, what are the unique characteristics that make AI so disruptive across so many different types of industries? This idea of uh, learning inputs output mappings is, has been around for many decades, or what some might argue, you know, maybe even over a century. But this has started working incredibly well just in the last few years, thanks to the rise of a technology called deep learning or neural networks. Um, so a decade ago, we couldn't build speech recognition systems that were that accurate. You know, you would feed an audio and would have all sorts of transcription errors. But because we now have a lot of data, a lot more, say, audio data uh, and transcripts, when you feed this huge amount of data into neural networks, also called deep learning, we now have very accurate speech recognition systems. And this is powering the rise of adoption of um, mobile voice search for the web search engines, as well as smart speakers like uh, Amazon Echo, Google Home, Apple Siri, and many others. So what we're seeing is that in a lot of industries, when you find the right business use cases, you're now able to build these input-output mappings much more accurately than was possible just a few years ago. And for the right business use cases, this means they can be valuable in, in a way that wasn't possible. Um, in manufacturing, where landing AI does a lot of work, uh, we do work in automatic visual inspection. So say you're a factory and you've manufactured a smartphone. Um, rather than needing many people to use their eyes to check if there's a scratch on the smartphone uh, to inspect it for quality, it's now possible to have an AI take a picture of a smartphone and very accurately detect whether or not the smartphone has a scratch or a dent or some other defect in it. And so visual inspection is another, you know, maybe maybe a few surprising application where this is uh, making inroads into, into manufacturing. What about adoption? So as you talk about different industries and making inroads, that implies adoption of AI, AI techniques, data, and a host of other related issues. So, so talk about adoption in the enterprise. How do we go about it? AI has transformed the software internet industry. If you look at companies like Google, Baidu, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, uh, really many, even of the not quite so large software tech companies, most of them at this point, they, they, they get AI. And while there's still room for improvement for even the largest tech companies, on average, they're using AI very effectively. Um, I think the next wave for AI would be for it to transform all of the other industries, everything from manufacturing, agriculture, transportation, logistics, travel, healthcare. Um, I think the industries outside software internet still have uh, much more headroom to grow. A lot of these industries have already been pursuing digitization, uh, take healthcare. Today, your health records are much more likely to be in the form of, of an electronic health record than you know, like a digital image for your x-ray rather than a, a x-ray film. So a lot of these industries have data, but the process of figuring out what are the valuable use cases for AI, um, how to hire the talent to build the projects, and then also how to deploy this um, is still being figured out in these industries. Over the last couple of years, I think we've had a lot of companies uh, run a lot of pilot projects. Many pilot projects did not make into production uh, because it is difficult to have the right judgment about, you know, how do you select the most valuable project to work on? 
In fact, here in Silicon Valley, I see a lot of startups running proof of concept after proof of concept. Uh, I think some people use the term POC hole to describe that. But, and I think we as an industry, we still need to get better at uh, both identifying the valuable proof of concepts and then also making sure we, we take these things to, to production. So software internet has been ahead of the game in this, but the other industries are still in the process of figuring it out. And I think landing AI and I, hopefully we could play a big role in helping these industries figure it out as well. What should a business leader do who's looking at this and looking at their own company and, you know, what do we do? Do we hire a bunch of data scientists? Do we, how, do, how, do we, how do we even start in the, be- in the right way? AI is disruptive enough that I advise most business leaders to um, start now if you haven't already. And I think um, one piece of advice is it's better to start small than to start too large. I've seen a lot of comp- I've seen more companies fail by starting too big than fail by starting too small. And in fact, um, if uh, uh, you know CEO or, or other leader sets a grand vision that ultimately doesn't succeed, sometimes that very large failure sets a company back by a couple of years. Uh, and this is not a good time to be set back by a couple of years because the whole company losing faith in AI. Uh, so I think it's better for most companies to start small and to deliver a quick win and then to build momentum from there. Maybe one example, when I was leading the Google Brain team at that time, there was skepticism even within Google you know, about deep learning. There was skepticism in the whole world because it's still taking off. So my first internal customer in Google was a Google, was a Google speech recognition team. Um, and speech recognition in Google is a, is a nice project, it's an important project, but it's not web search or advertising. But by doing a smaller project to make Google's speech recognition system more accurate, that then helped other teams uh, gain faith in this modern AI. Um, my second internal customer building on the momentum from speech was the Google Maps team, where we use uh, optical character recognition to read the house numbers of essentially Google Street View data to more accurately locate houses on Google Maps. And only after those you know, couple initial successes did I then start a more serious conversation with the Google advertising team. So I think number one advice to a lot of leaders is to start small um, and then to uh, try to deliver a quick win, maybe in six to 12 months, and then use that to teach the organization how AI works, what are valuable use cases, and then to do bigger and bigger projects over time. How does a business leader even know what's the right kind of project? This is not like business process software, right? This can actually disrupt your business. And so to choose the right project requires a, a core baseline of, of knowledge, even about the technology. First to say, building AI projects is hard. Um, What I usually recommend to companies is to brainstorm a list of projects. And and today, because of uh, organizations like Deep Learning.ai and Coursera, there are a lot of people with uh, a good level of technical knowledge about machine learning. I bet almost most large enterprises, maybe every large enterprises, will have people, you know, taking uh, uh, machine learning and deep learning courses with deep learning.ai with Coursera. So there's probably some technical talent in most large organizations by now. And if you engage that technical talent to brainstorm a few use cases, uh, then you can 
when, when, when landing AI, when I work with a company, I usually recommend brainstorming at least half a dozen projects. And then for each of them, we spend sometimes a few weeks uh, doing both technical diligence to convince ourselves that their project is feasible from a technical point of view, as well as business diligence, where we like to model out the you know, bottom line impact or the, or, or the top line, bottom line, or other key metric impact of this project. And only after we've convinced ourselves that this is a valuable project, do we then commit the resources to then spend you know, potentially several months or, 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 many, or maybe many months to execute on the project. So I think um, for large enterprises, if you get together with your technical teams, uh, brainstorm, don't brainstorm one project. One, one, one pro tip, uh, I've found that very often the number one project that the CEO gets excited about, that's often you know, not the right project to, to invest in. But if you step back, brainstorm a list of projects, uh, do technical diligence and um, business diligence, then after a few weeks, you can hopefully pick uh, one or two valuable pilot projects to commit to and then and then build from there um you can get going with a small machine learning or data science team maybe maybe a handful of people like five people uh and sometimes that teaches you the early lessons you need to then build a bigger team maybe another story i still remember at google when our first gpu server it was just some server under some guy's desk uh, and, and, but, but having a small, you know, GPU server with a handful of GPUs in it, that was important for teaching us and teaching Google, um, how to work with GPUs and how to share GPUs. And, and that one server, uh, uh, taught us so many lessons that was then useful for the later build out of, of these capabilities. You are a technologist by background. Why did you decide to start a company that's focused on adoption rather than pure technology? I think both are important. Uh, I'm excited about technology. And I also feel that um, even though technology is continuing to advance, I was just at the NeurIPS conference last week, uh, you know, listening to the latest breakthroughs, of which there are many I'm excited about. But I think in order for AI to become more widespread, um, I think if we take the technologies that's already invented, uh, you know, a lot of which is open source, um, but there's a lot of work that's needed to do to be done to adapt this to different industries. So for AI to reach its full potential. Um, I think many industries still have not figured out how to scope projects, how to resource projects, how to manage projects. Um, a lot of companies underestimate the change management aspects of how to roll this very disruptive technology. AI is automation on steroids. And when we take uh, one task out of someone's job and we have AI automated, it could help that person become much more productive. Uh, it could also make them feel threatened about their job in some cases. And I think a lot of companies underestimate the, the change management aspects. I think um, AI is so disruptive that it really gets at the heart of many industry verticals. When I think CEOs, uh, CXOs should be asking themselves, Questions like, when AI becomes pervasive, how does this disrupt your industry? What are the new activities that create value? What are the new defensible activities? And what is your theory of value creation? Um, to make an analogy with the rise of the internet, which is another very disruptive technology, I think a taxi company plus a website was not an internet company. And I say this with a lot of respect to taxi cab companies, you know, building websites. Instead, Uber, Lyft, DD, Grab, those were the internet companies that figured out how the internet changes the core activities of, of, of what transportation means. 
AI is equally disruptive. And in all of these industries, from manufacturing to retail, to agriculture, to healthcare, to many others, it will change the core of what it means to be a leading company in all of these industry verticals. And, and I think now is the time for a CEO or for an executive team to figure this out. Um, one of the biggest challenges is uh, the with technology infecting a lot of industries, it is causing more industries to have winner-take-all, winner-take-most dynamics. Um, once upon a time, you could live a pretty happy life being you know, a small farmer, right? small agriculture farmer, small chicken farmer somewhere. But what has happened with the rise of technology is that um, centralized organizations, technology providers, everything from Tyson Chicken or John Deere or, or Monsanto, um, uh, create technology and can aggregate data from across the country using the internet, uh, use IoT internet, process the data, and distribute insights and technology back to all of these farmers. And so even in farming, we're seeing a centralization of power and uh, this is a trend that's been underway for many years and is accelerating in every industry, which places a lot of pressure on CEOs to figure it out. We have a question from Twitter from Sal Rasa. What about the change management dimension? If we think about change management historically with enterprise software, it was mostly about doing your job differently because the process is different. But with AI, there's also business model change and other types of more uh, profoundly disruptive changes. And so how does change management evolve in this world? I think that there are two types of AI technology. One type looks at the existing workflow and uh, automates part of it to make the uh, system more efficient. Uh, so in manufacturing, rather than needing an inspector to spend so much time inspecting you know, scratch smartphones or, or, or other things, uh, maybe that one task could be automated. But there's a system that needs to be built around this new, newly automated task. So when an AI flags a smartphone as defective, um, what happens next? Do you get a human inspector to re-inspect it? Do you send it for reworking? Do you discard it right away? But when you inject an AI component into workflow, uh, what are the inputs and what, what, who, who's supposed to look at the AI systems decisions and do something about it? So that's change management. Um, maybe another example. One of my teams has rolled out a pilot system in Stanford Hospital that is examining EHRs, uh, electronic health records, to try to recommend patients for consideration for palliative care, for end-of-life care. So if we think that the patient has a high risk of mortality uh, over the next three to 12 months, uh, we think then, then we um, surface their electronic health record to a palliative care doctor who may decide to look at it and the doctor decides whether or not to reach out to that um, patient's uh, physician to recommend a consideration of palliative care. But, when a EHR, electronic health record system, starts generating these recommendations, who in the hospital is supposed to look at these recommendations and how does this impact uh, the patient? How do you make sure doctors ultimately are in control? What are the ethics around uh, you know, recommending someone for palliative care? Do you send it, which, how do you um, uh, make sure the doctors have the time and space to even look at these things and fit into the daily workflow? These are some of the very complicated change management issues we have to address when designing and rolling out AI solutions. There is so much hype out there, and pretty much every technology in the world these days says, we are AI, 
And they position themselves as an AI company as opposed to, you know, whatever it is that they, the process they automate. And so what should business people do to see through that hype? A couple of years ago, I feel like um, a lot of companies would slap an AI sticker on a lot of products and assume that that makes the product more attractive. I think we're past that now. We're, 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 for which I'm very glad. Or actually, a few years ago, I would see companies slap an AI sticker on the whole company. And then, you know, that, that just affects the, the market cap of the whole company. And I think we're actually getting past that, which is a great sign. Um, today, uh, I think technology in isolation is completely useless. So most days I don't actually care if something is AI or is not AI. But um, I tend to look much more at the business fundamentals. So what are the inputs and outputs? Uh, how does this actually move business metrics that you care about? And to use that to assess um, the quality of an of a AI project. Um, I think credibility does matter too. Today in Silicon Valley, where from where I'm speaking to you, um, almost every company says they use AI. And I think to survive, you know, almost every company will need to figure out their AI story. But I, th there's still a huge difference uh, between the teams that are truly skilled at AI and have a track record of knowing how to figure this out and deploy it uh, versus teams that are still in the process of learning it. So I know that it's difficult for, for, for a non-AI expert to judge who has the real stuff and who is, you know, is still using AI in a very basic way. Um, I think track record and credibility is one way to judge. And then the other is to uh, get the technical team really to, to, to think deeply about the actual business impact of the technology rather than, rather than get too excited just about the technology. Does the technology for a business person really matter? The technology now works much better than ever before. And so it does matter. Um, for example, maybe just to, uh, if you look at online advertising, I, I think it's not the most inspiring application of AI, but certainly incredibly lucrative. Um, AI teams that are more experienced actually drive more relevant ads to show users, and that increases click-through rates, and that has a very direct impact on the bottom line of the large online ad platforms. Um, or speech recognition, the ability to recognize speech more accurately is absolutely critical for users' willingness to adopt these. Um, in the manufacturing context, we see that the accuracy of screening out what are defective parts, you know, smartphones and other things versus non-defective, that has a direct impact on what needs to be thrown away, what needs to be reworked, what the human inspector needs to re-inspect, um, that has a direct impact. So you do need, for a lot of, maybe for some businesses, you can get, up, get by with okay AI, but I think for a lot of um, businesses, the quality of the AI in terms of it giving uh, accurate judgments is absolutely critical uh, to, the, to the business performance. It sounds like your focus is first and foremost on what are the business outcomes that we are going to achieve and how will this technology enable us to achieve those outcomes as opposed to, oh, this is interesting technology. I like to figure out the outcomes and work backwards and figure out the technology to help us get there. You know, at Landing AI, we did have a few uh, potential customers approach us. We're, we're basically a pitch. They're, they're basically asking, hey, Andrew, can you help us slap an AI sticker on our company? Uh, and that's it. Uh, and, and our answer to that is always no. You know, we, we don't want to just help 
people uh, uh, paint AI on their business unless there's something real there. Um, I, I think it, it, it could work. I think in some stock markets still around the world, slapping AI sticker does have an impact on valuation. But if that's the only impact, I, I just don't want to do that because I, I, I'm not interested. Uh, because I think AI does have a strong impact on the fundamentals of many businesses and can help a lot of people drive a lot of uh, global economic growth. But, but it, it, is, it takes deep thinking um, to marry AI with all of these different industries. Oh, for what it's worth, it took us a long time to figure out a lot of details of how to use machine learning and AI in the software industry. I mean, it was hard, you know, figure out how to do speech recognition, how to do computer vision. Uh, uh, few of us realized what a big hit optical character recognition would be until, until you know, several years in. Uh, so it was really difficult to customize AI to the software industry. I think it would be equally difficult to customize AI to all of these different industries. But that's the work that I think we need to do over the next next many years. I have a question about, maybe we could call this the advanced level of change management, which is, I think for many business leaders, it is difficult to envision what the technology can do for their business. And you were describing at, at Google with Optical, I think you said at Google with, with OCR, and trying to envision the implications of that. And so how can business people adopt the technology having that broader, more expansive view when their organizations at the same time you know, are just struggling or being successful producing whatever they produce today. In the case of the Google OCR project, um, I'm going to try to give credit to the right person. I may get this wrong, but I personally heard about the idea first from an engineer at the time called Yuval Nedza. Uh, and uh, it, it totally was not my idea, right? But Yuval at the time was working with uh, uh, the, the you know, Google Maps Street View team. And he came to me and said, hey, Andrew, you know, work on OCR. I see the potential of deep learning. So I think in this case, uh, idea didn't come from me. It came from someone that was you know, learning about deep learning. We all were figuring out deep learning, but was close enough to the product to have the business insight to say, hey, Andrew, you know, could we work together? On, uh, and, and I think a lot of people contributed over the many years, obviously. Um, I think uh, one of the interesting things is that when you give business leaders uh, or product leaders a little bit of insight about AI, often they will come up with great ideas about where they can apply it in their business. One thing I did um, earlier, uh, several months ago, was release a course titled AI for Everyone, whose goal is to teach a non-technical audience enough about AI that they can start to think through um, business use cases for whatever industry you're in. So uh, it was one of the top performing courses um, uh, by DeepLearning.ai and Coursera this past year. I ran to a company a few months ago, which told me that they were getting all, uh, they, they were thinking of trying to get all 2,000 of their employees to take AI for everyone. And I, I, I don't know if that's overkill, but I thought, wow, this is incredible because if um, you get your team, certainly your executive team, because that's really important, but then also others in the you know, management uh, level or, or individual contributors to learn a bit about AI, then that unleashes a lot of creativity as people that are close to your business can figure out where to apply supervised learning or, or other AI technology. I interviewed on this show the CEO, uh, CEO of Nokia, and he realized the importance of machine learning. And so he 
went back and became a developer and learned and created a course. And then they asked every person inside the company, every engineer inside the company, to take this course. So education seems to be a fundamentally important part of this advanced change or disruption if a business leader wants to use uh, AI to improve their organization their, and their, their business outcomes. Yes. A few years ago, I remember attending a meeting with uh, many Fortune Fortune 500, the very large company CEOs. This was a few years ago now. And I remember the coolest people in the room were the uh, CEOs that had figured out their internet strategy uh, because everyone else was looking to them uh, to, to ask, you know, wow, well, how did you use the internet for this retail business or that manufacturing or that distribution business and so on? Um, I think a few years from now, it actually was starting to see this already. I think a few years from now, it, at similar CEO meetings, the coolest people in the room will be the men and women that figured out the AI strategy a little bit earlier, and everyone will be looking to them to, to ask, uh, you know, how, how can you, how, what are the insights useful for my business as well? And um, because AI is so disruptive, the companies that figured out the internet strategy, you know, you, today, almost everyone needs to have basic knowledge about the internet, almost everyone in a corporate environment, certainly. And I think we're definitely getting there in the case of AI as well. What about the ethical dimensions? What, what are some of the ethical considerations? And what is it about AI that leads to a discussion of ethics more so than with other technologies? Over the last two years, we have seen the tech crash and um, a real ever erosion of trust in technology as a force for good. Uh, if you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, for example, um, and, and, and just, I think Financial Times last year called the uh, uh, word of the year tech lash. I may have the details wrong, but, but, you know, but there's this erosion of trust in technology. Um, and if you look across technology, I think the most disruptive, the shiniest, most disruptive technological force today is AI. There are other things as well, but it's really leading the charge in software technology, certainly in, in terms of making new things possible that were not possible before. Um, the AI community is a very powerful community. I think our decisions, the, the decisions of community uh, can be, the efforts of community can be used to build addictive digital products that waste a lot of people's time to, to, to know, make them see more ads or something. Um, or we can go to industries and help make industries more efficient and drive economic growth and lift up people's wages and provide, uh, we can use AI to provide better educational opportunities. Uh, so I think these are all questions that our community is getting better at addressing. Um, the other ethical challenge that I think is raised by uh, uh, AI is uh, uh, concentration of power. I, I alluded briefly to how internet um, and AI as a celebrating force, it for industry after industry, not just software, I think it is creating a concentration of power because the internet allows uh, centralized players to pull data together and AI makes it possible for them to process that data in more efficient ways than, than, than ever possible before. And so we're turning a lot of industries into, uh, we're, we're infecting them with the internet dynamics or AI dynamics of winner-take-most or winner-take-all types of effects. And so I think even though we're creating tremendous wealth, um, uh, I think we need to have a serious conversation uh, to make sure that the tremendous wealth we're creating is sh shared in a, in a fair way. Um, 
And I think finally, uh, issues of bias, uh, of auto-generation of fake news, uh, the potential of AI to split human society apart and undermine democracy. Uh, I think these are, there are some uh, uh, uses of AI that I don't think that, that I do not support. Um, and I find that uh, it is, we still have important work ahead of us, uh, which, which I am working on. Uh, uh, which many of us are working on to try to make sure that our community, the AI community, behaves with the highest ethical standards. And frankly, that we hope the whole tech world regain the trust, some of which we had we had lost over the last couple of years. Can you weave in the notion of data and the centralization of data that you were describing and how that links to the centralizing of power and the concentrations, uh, unequal uh, concentrations of wealth that you just alluded to? I feel like the lives of farmers here in the United States are getting tougher. And there are many, many reasons for that. Um, but one of the trends is that it's easier than, it's more possible, easier than ever before for a centralized technology player to use IoT to aggregate weather, soil data from all around the country, uh, process insights, push insights back out to farmers all around the, 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 the country, um, and then to capture a larger and larger fraction of the excess value that is created through these types of optimizations because, you know, farmers now really need these technologies, really need these data. And the market power is, uh, the pendulum is swinging uh, towards centralized players. I see the centralization of players of, of power even at the individual corporate level. Uh, take a retailer, you know, imagine a large brick and mortar retailer. Once there was a balance of what decisions were made in the centralized headquarters and what decisions were made at the distributed retail stores you have all around the country. Uh, so, for example, um, you know, if, if you have a retail store out in Florida, uh, they will have better local knowledge to know, you know, when is it hot in Florida? When is it cold? Maybe we shouldn't sell winter jackets in Florida. Whereas someone in headquarters may say, oh, now it's winter. Let's ship winter jackets everywhere. Um, but so there was a mix of local knowledge uh, that the local person would know versus decentralized knowledge at, at, at headquarters. But with the rise of the internet and IoT, when something is sold in Florida, uh, headquarters can find out about that, you know, uh, uh, maybe in, in less than a second or hundreds of milliseconds later. And headquarters can now aggregate all the data from our own country, process it, and push insights back out to the distributed retail stores in every state around the country. So even at individual corporate level, I'm seeing the pendulum swing in terms of uh, uh, moving, not 100%, but in terms of increasingly moving toward centralized decision-making because the internet um, and AI are aligned to centralization of data and very efficient processing of data. So when this happens to many industries, uh, everything from manufacturing, agriculture, transportation, logistics, healthcare, uh, this creates a potential for there to be a smaller number of incredibly well-off players with tremendous market power. And what does, what are the impacts on jobs, on, um, on making sure the wealth we create is fairly shared? I think all of these are very important questions that, that I, I struggle with the answers myself. I, I think we need society, government, public private partnerships, companies to, to, to figure out what's the best way forward. Some of these are, uh, very, 
important policy issues that will certainly play an increasingly large role over the coming years. At the same time, from an individual corporate standpoint, would it be correct that those companies who are able to develop the the vision and the understanding of the technology and the power of aggregating, centralizing data, as you described, those companies who see that today are very likely going to be among the group that are the most successful tomorrow. Yes, I believe one of the challenges for a lot of uh, executive teams is that AI is one of several forces adding to concentration of power and these types of winner-take-all dynamics in multiple industries. And what and, and these winner-take-all dynamics, they do have a positive feedback loop. If you are ahead in technology, maybe you have a better product. So having a better product means you have more users, uh, maybe more farmers use your products. And so you get more data. Having more data means you can improve your product quality even better because having more data improves your AI and does even more people use your product. And so there are these positive feedback loops that allows a company that's a little bit ahead to raise ahead even faster. So one of the challenges for executive teams is um, if you wait a few years, it may be too late because if over the next two years, say, a competitor steals a march on you, then those winner-take-all dynamics may mean that over the next decade or two, you know, that they will just uh, uh, become become dominant, absent of maybe outside forces such as, you know, government intervention or, or other things that may happen. So I think this is why I see a lot of uh, C-suite uh, feeling a lot of urgency to act now because if you miss the boat, and it's quite possible some companies will look back two years from now and say they really missed the boat. Uh, but if you miss the boat now and don't make the right strategic choices now, even while there's some uncertainty about the right business use cases, by the time it's obvious, it, it, it will probably be too late for, 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 for some companies. In addressing this set of issues for business leaders, which is more important, uh, understanding the technology implications, what is possible, and the role of data, or understanding potential future business models? For a lot of businesses, for almost every business I speak with, certainly for every, for every single large company I've, I've you know, spoken with and spent the time to dive deep into, there are uh, use cases for AI. What I see in a lot of companies is um, you probably have a lot of digital data. You know, maybe things used to be written on pieces of paper 10 years ago. Right? A lot of our supply chain logistics it was written on pieces of paper, you know, maybe, maybe 20 years ago. We've made a lot of that digital. So a lot of companies already have data. Um, and having an AI team, a machine learning team or data science team process that data can already generate actionable business insights, you know, right now for, for, for a lot of companies. And I think getting that flywheel going, starting to build that team now, figuring out the use cases now is important to help the company learn about what is AI. Uh, and then when it's more mature to figure out what is this AI power future. You know, um, I have a document uh, that, that published uh, some months back called the AI Transformation Playbook. And uh, if, if you if you search online and, and read the AI Transformation Playbook, it lists out a set of steps uh, that I recommend for companies uh, to figure out their AI-enabled future. One of the surprising things about the AI Transformation Playbook, uh, feedback I got from multiple CEOs was uh, I list step one as executing pilot projects, start small and get something going. Uh, steps two and three as building a team and providing training. And only step four as figuring out your AI strategy. 
So a few CEOs actually read that and gave me feedback. They said, look, Andrew, why is figuring out my strategy step four? I want to figure out the strategy. I'll go to my board, get it funded, get it authorized, and we could execute. And actually, actually push back. And I said, for a lot of companies that um, don't know enough about AI, if you try to figure out your strategy step one, you end up with a very academic strategy or you end up with a strategy that feels like it's copy-pasted from newspaper headlines. You know, like I read in the newspaper that data is important, so my strategy is to collect a lot of data. And that that usually doesn't work. Uh, so I actually recommend to companies to start small, gain momentum, and only after your company knows better what building AI feels like, then you're in a much more thoughtful place, a much, much better place to craft a thoughtful strategy and a thoughtful vision for how AI will change your industry and how it changes where to play, where not to play, what creates value, what's defensible. We have another question from Twitter. How can leadership determine the AI capability maturity of their own organization so they they can choose the right product and improve their AI maturity over time? I have seen, unfortunately, CEOs make mistakes in hiring, uh, uh, you know, the wrong technology person if they weren't qualified to evaluate the right the, the technology person. Um, if you can find trusted partners, you know, people uh, uh, that have experience doing this, sometimes it can come in and help you benchmark uh, the quality of, of of the internal efforts. Um, I find it I find it difficult. Um, if you can find a one right leader with you know credibility and track record as your chief AI officer to build up the team, things could go well. Unless you're, you're able to find a partner um, with that knowledge, it is difficult to to benchmark. So we always say find find a good partner with 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 you know knowledge and track record that could help you take a look at what's going on in AI and help you shape it. I know that you have started several companies and you're trying to create an AI ecosystem. And I'm really interested, what are you doing there and, and, and why? The world now has access to this very disruptive, very transformative AI technology. But for it to reach its full potential, multiple things need to be done. So Landing.ai or Landing AI is our enterprise-facing organization that helps mainly large enterprises uh, figure out AI adoption. And we started with a manufacturing focus, uh, also doing a lot of work in agriculture and increasingly in healthcare. Um, DeepLearning.ai is our educational arm. Uh, DeepLearning.ai does a lot of work with Coursera, but we're trying to uh, build education and a community to help individuals figure out AI. So we teach uh, deep learning on Coursera. Uh, AI for Everyone is offered by deep learning. We just want to help people break into AI um, uh, through through education and, and community building. And then AI Fund is a startup studio that builds new companies from scratch. Um, I found when I was leading uh, Baidu's AI group that, that the most fun part of my job was uh, you know, trying to systematically create new businesses using AI. And AI Fund is a startup studio. We have more ideas for you know, exciting companies to build than, than people uh, uh, to, to, to work on them. But we systematically build companies and then capitalize them and send them on their way. I think these are three of the three key pieces, uh, the helping large enterprises, building new companies, and then education uh, needed in order to move the world forward create value you know, for, for, for everyone. And hopefully take everyone with us, um, as, as, even as we create a lot of value using AI. It sounds like you have an underlying vision that it's not just about technology, it's not just about making money. So what's the unifying factor that kind of keeps this going? AI is a very disruptive technology and the AI-powered future will be very different than the world we live in today. Um, 
I think that we could relieve a lot of humanity from 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 repetitive routine work. Uh, we could drive tremendous economic growth. McKinsey estimated, you know, thirteen trillion dollars worth of global economic growth, uh, global GDP creation. Um, this has a big impact on people's jobs and livelihoods in some cases, and so I think we need a better educational system as well to make sure that people can gain the skills they need to always have meaningful work to do. Um, I, I, I think that uh, with all of us working together, I hope we can build this exciting AI power world where humanity will be much more powerful. Much as the Industrial Revolution automated away a lot of manual labor, I think AI is the next wave of automation. But how to build that future, how to do it in an ethical way, and how to make sure we don't just create wealth for you know Silicon Valley and Beijing and a few cities, but we make everyone better off. I think these are all um, difficult questions that, that, that we're wrestling with, but that we must solve together. A couple of other very quick questions. One is a question from Kanapriya Agarwal, who says, how does, one get, how does one get in touch with you for collaboration? Websites, uh, Landing AI uh, and our various websites have, have a contact form, so please feel free to get in touch. Advice that you have, kind of uh, summed up advice that you have for business leaders that are listening to this. Tactically, I would say um, get going if you haven't already and start small. And uh, much more details in both AI for Everyone, uh, by uh, you know, course by Diva and Daya, host on Coursera, and in the AI Transformation Playbook. Um, I would say start small uh, uh, and, and execute quick pilot projects, gain knowledge, and then consolidate and keep building to bigger and bigger projects. We did this in the software internet industry, and it was hard. If it feels hard for your industry, let me just tell you, it was hard in the software internet industry as well. Uh, so I think it will be hard, but that work will be very meaningful in terms of us working to help transform and make multiple industries more efficient. What advice do you have for government policymakers in regards to AI and innovation? I was really excited when one country uh, told me that they're trying to get the entire presidential cabinet to take AI for everyone. I think, number one, uh, get educated about AI. Uh, I, I, and I see different countries' leaderships have very different levels of knowledge about AI, and it is really complicated. But having a basic knowledge will enable countries to try much more thoughtful policies. Um, and then I think uh, we do need regulations to enable and empower new AI applications come to market while also protecting consumers and protecting uh, safety, privacy. Government needs to play a huge role, both to protect individuals as well as to help create a much better future than, than, than is possible today. We've been speaking with Andrew Ng. He is the founder and CEO of Landing AI, along with whole bunch of other companies. You need to research him. Andrew, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Thanks a lot, Michael. This is an important topic that the whole country figure out AI. So I'm really glad we had a chance to chat. Everybody, thank you for watching. Before you go, please subscribe on YouTube and hit the subscribe button at the top of our website and we'll send you awesome information about upcoming shows. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you again next time.